Story number one. The Impossible, part two, written by three ducks in a man suit. It was a magnificent wedding. Two dozen high-profile guests had gathered, some from very far away. At the jaw-droppingly beautiful Lake Wanaka in New Zealand, the photographer was a master, the food was absolutely divine, the staff were all amazing. Guests at the ceremony had tears in their eyes, the look of pure gentle affection on the groom's face as he lifted up the veil of his bride-to-be made the assembly audibly sigh. A celebrant delivered a speech on love and tugged at the heartstrings. The speech closed, promising a kiss was given. And a phone in the audience rang. A sea of faces, the bride and groom, the gathered friends and relatives, the staff of the venue, all turned ice-cold stares of pure incredulous shock to the bride's big sister. Sitting up right in front, Roe pulled out a hot pink smartphone, squawking Rick Ashley's Never Gonna Give You Up to the assembly from the hidden pocket of uncaringly answered it. She stood. The phone still to her ear, she kicked off her heels and promptly sprinted from the room, leaving everyone behind along with her shoes. Two minutes later, she was speeding in an airborne Uber drone to Christchurch Space Link, ignoring the calls from furious relatives and cursing that Dunedin didn't have one. Half an hour later, she was on the fast-tracked United Earth Forces military-grade Skyraker-class star shuttle, ripping at almost 10,000 meters per second towards a wormhole, the own Earth halo connected to Juliana's system. A hair under three hours after abandoning her sister at the altar, Dr. Samantha Reyes touched down on Prometheus Alpha and immediately demanded to speak to the Commander Church. Ship number 3449, designated Ziodis, position Z17634, by X-21108, by Y-84563. Protocol dictated that in a first contact with a new race, certain things had to happen in a certain order. Firstly, translation equipment must be updated. After many first contact occasions, this process was very streamlined. Chief analysts suspected that the Scilia would be able to make themselves understood within a day of the software decoding the language. Within two, they would be able to communicate as if they'd been speaking the same tongue since birth. Then, a warp pod had to be loaded up with all the available data on the new discovery and sent as fast as possible to the nearest friendly planet. The brood mother would want to gather the Armada in case the new contact was hostile. It had happened before. Then, the senior crew had to hold a meeting and discuss the next steps. That was why all members of the leader cast had gathered on the bridge, which doubled as a meeting room. Naturally, Chief Analyst was doing most of the speaking. Our sensors are picking up a number of bizarre special anomalies around the megastructure, into which most of the gathered energy is being beamed. It stands to reason these humans have some kind of technology centered around holding energy in a pocket of folded space. The implications of this is very exciting. A single battery with infinite storage would eliminate the need for multiple stage jumps with periods to recharge. Chief Analyst Thale betrayed her excitement. How? God, they built the structure is still... I'm gathering data. It's mass requirements alone. Well, it is likely from the position of the innermost planet that it is some sort of orbital trajectory of a certain points of localized space debris that... There was a sixth planet closer to the star that... 
Prometheus. That was, well, consumed. Consumed? Used up entirely, there is a surface mass of megastructure to suggest that the entire Sikal-class world was broken down and repurposed to put back together. They, they broke a planet completely, and then used the mass to swallow a star. Likely, it was more than one, actually. The chunks mass surrounding Prometheus are probably leftover materials remaining in orbit, partially processed. The human base on the surface also has impact abrasions, suggesting that it was not built on the planet's surface, but rather dropped there. It's possible that the base was built on the Laogon planet, then moved as it was extinguished and placed on the Prometheus to gather the last scraps of mass required to complete the structure. This also is supported by a close examination of the planet's surface which is unnaturally regular and patterned, suggesting the entire layer of the crust has been stripped clean. Captain swallowed the question that left to her mind as she answered it herself. The energy requirements for shifting an entire base between planets would be insane, but a tiny drop in the sea of power that they would be drawing even at that incomplete point of construction. So, that's where they got the mass. Energy requirements for the construction speaks for itself, Scientifically, the entire process is surprisingly straightforward. The only real mystery remaining is, well, the labor. It was the single most prohibitive part of construction. Even in the entire Scalia brood, some three trillion drones gathered to single star to work. The time to build something like this would still be measured in centuries, not two standard years. Captain, I believe you did ask about why you needed all that energy. Yes. The response was this, for us. They are giving the energy to us. No, aside from meeting all the energy needs, they made a megastructure to get the attention of the theoretical alien lifeforms by making a star disappear. What? An extended moment of silence followed the question. The biggest structure in the history of civilization, and they made it as an act as a galactic beacon. What about the species themselves? Society, biology, general disposition. They appear to have binary gender system, much like the Talon. Chief Analyst flicked over the new readouts on the screen as she was reading her data from. Their culture is very individualistic. Every single member of their race has their own name, with the double ups only existing due to coincidence. The name also have standalone meanings in the language without a wider implications. Captain flicked her tongue, absorbing the information. She had been called Captain since she was born, a name she shared with millions of other members of her race, who were created and raised for a single purpose. All right, everyone, listen up. Chief Analyst and her team have confirmed that our race breathes comparable atmospheres, making it more or less certain that this is another race that shares a common ancestry with the Great Bioseed. That means that we have no excuse not to touch down in the base and meet with the humans face to face. The time has already been arranged, so let's get things straight before we go down there. Station Prometheus Alpha, in orbit around the material world Prometheus, observing the Sagan Dyson Sphere around Juliana 6. Commander Thomas Church was operating and a very little sleep. Since the Scania had arrived, the base had been in frantic. A parade of scientists, diplomats, and analysts had been pouring in from the wormhole connected to each halo. 
Most recently, Earth's preeminent xenobiologist had made the trip here from New Zealand in record time. She caught up at the church while he was walking in his bunk to get some sleep before the meeting, boring over data even as she walked. Nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere, snake-like appearance, no visible eyes though they appear to do see. Their range of vision is shifted further towards ultraviolet light with only small overlap with human visible spectrum. Fascinating. Dr. Ray's moved with the pace of a hurricane. Church hadn't even found the chance to ask why she was barefoot and wearing a bridesmaid's dress. You made first contact, right? Oh, that makes me so jealous. What has the dialogue centered around? Naturally, many of their questions were centered around the Sagan Sphere. Not only how we built it, but also why we need it, said Church. Dr. Ray's head snapped up from the dead pad in a statement. What did you tell them? That the sphere was mostly to get their attention. Incidentally, what's your clearance level? Violet. She flashed a UEF card. Chill out, Commander. I know all about the Project Genesis. Good job keeping it quiet, by the way. Wouldn't want them learning too much about it right off the bat. They arrived at the crew quarters. Commander Church excused himself, even while Dr. Ray's yammered on before setting his alarm and hitting the sack. Big day tomorrow. Planet Scalia 1, City number 1, Sanctum number 1. The Great Sleep was the nearest its end. Brood Mother Taurus could feel the stirrings within her hibernation chamber. The heat was rising. The nutrition tubes had tripled their activity. Hundreds of Praetorian drones bustled around the chamber in a state of euphoria. Eight hundred years was a long time to wait. Now only had a handful of weeks, maybe days. The brood mothers didn't always get along. As a matter of fact, there was a given time some form of gigantic war between war queens going on across the brood. But today, they were all linked. The same message reappeared itself across the echo chamber that, as they shared a psychic space, some gleeful, others in tired resignation. The Grand Queen Awakens. End of story.